The point is, for a VC, five to 10 million in annual revenue is really not anything that gets them excited. But if you're a law firm, and I've come up with a way for you to have five to 10 million more in annual revenue, that's like hiring three rainmakers who don't need a corner office and who won't lateral. I'm Chad Main, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about the intersection of technology and the practice of law, where each week we'll talk to a different mover or shaker in the legal and technology field. We'll learn a little about them, what they've been up to, and hopefully get some real-world tips that will help lawyers better use technology in their legal practices. In this episode of Technically Legal, we sit down with Zach Abramowitz, lawyer, entrepreneur, writer, and generally a guy very dialed into the legal tech world. We also sit down with Catherine Crow. She's the founder of Digitory Legal, an app that helps lawyers put together realistic budgets. One of the best things about doing this podcast is that I get to meet so many of these smart and interesting people. And every time I learn something about them, totally cool and totally out of left field. Like this great nugget I got from Zach. I worked at ESPN Radio when I was in uh, law school. I used to go every day to Madison Square Garden, and I worked on the Max Kellerman show. At the time, I really just wanted to get into sports. I, I went to law school wanting to become the next Billy Bean or the next GM. And then I, so I, you know, I looked for every opening in sports possible, and I emailed Max Kellerman, and I was like, listen, you need a legal intern. He's like, why do I need a legal intern? I'm like, well, I've heard you a bunch of times on your show, and you'll talk about some issue in law, and you'll say, well, if I had a lawyer here, then we would, you know, we'd know the answer to this. But since I don't, it's not really worth talking about. Let's move on. I was like, I'm going to be that guy. Anytime you have some legal issue in sports at all, anything you want researched, I'll do the, I'll do that legwork and I can put it together very quickly. And again, I had no interest in researching legal issues for Max Kellerman, but I just wanted an in somehow and something that like made me stand out. So I became Zach, the legal intern for about uh, two semesters. So I asked Zach to come on the podcast for a bunch of reasons. One of them is that he's a lawyer. He did M&A work for a New York law firm. Another reason I wanted him on the podcast is because he writes a lot about legal tech and is in the know about it. He writes for a bunch of websites, including Above the Law. But another big reason I wanted to get him on the podcast is because Zach is also an entrepreneur. He and a buddy created an app called Reply All. You can find it at replyall.me. Using Reply All, you can have text-based conversations and then embed those conversations on a website. Good friend of mine and I just used to have these debates, and I said to him, wouldn't it be great if you and I could take these conversations and publish them and allow the rest of the world to follow along like a fly on the wall? And he was like, wouldn't it be better if like actually interesting people could publish these conversations? We could follow them. So we built a tool that websites use to host conversations with experts that they publish as dynamic content. So instead of going to the Wall Street Journal and reading an op-ed that's written by one person, with Reply All, you're reading a back and forth between multiple authors, multiple perspectives, multiple opinions, and you're getting to see that interaction, and you get to see it unfold in real time as the conversation actually happens. So we've taken that tool, and the first big site we worked with was Above the Law, but we've also worked with Sports Illustrated and TechCrunch and Bloomberg and Huffington Post, um, and that was the that was the reason. I mean, our, our goal at the time, this was sort of in the early Facebook and Twitter years, we felt that conversation online, when it involved everyone, was not as interesting. A conversation that anyone can get into is not really a conversation. That's just a, that's a conference. And I wanted to be able to create these sort of intimate conversations. And the goal was that, you know, you'd get like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates 
having a, an exchange about a, a strategic charity or giving, or th- th- that was the that was the real impetus. The fact that we got into legal was like totally an accident. It was not. I joke all the time. If you had told me that I was leaving law to start a legal tech company, I probably would have never left law in the first place. I left the law firm and I was working at Schulte for two years. I left because I thought I was never going to like have any contact with attorneys again, which was like part of my goal in starting Reply All. But what we found so far is there's so much interesting going on inside of legal right now that we as a company have really honed in and focused on legal and not just ways to make business in terms of advertising revenue and getting sponsors on our content, but also to help move the, the conversation forward, if you will, in legal. And that's a lot of the work that we're doing right now um, is helping and getting more involved very specifically, specifically in legal technology, because I think for like the last year, year and a half, I've been looking around at all the interesting things going on inside of legal tech and thinking, listen, I've got the startup skills. <laughs> I've got a really good network in legal. I've been meeting more and more GCs, more and more, you know, startups. I know this scene very well. What more can we do here that's not specifically advertising related? How else can we help companies in this space? And I think that's what we're focusing on right now. And I think in that respect, we've become very, very obsessed with legal and other ways to sort of monetize an online asset, which is really what we're doing. We're a publisher. We just have a different, we're not completely dependent on advertising revenue for our business model. But I think that ultimately we are going to go back and, and you know, we've, we've been pitching deals to big Fortune 500 companies on being sponsors. Um, we were very close to a deal with uh, with Sports Illustrated earlier this year, and then Sports Illustrated got acquired. So we have, we're having to wait out the, that acquisition. But we were not specifically a legal tech company. We've very much accidentally become a company that is very involved in legal technology. Because Zach has his finger on the pulse of legal tech and talks to a lot of people in the industry, I asked him what seems to be the next type of legal tech that's gaining some traction and notoriety. He mentioned two companies, Kira and Doxley, two companies that have developed software to analyze and automate contractual workflows. As a side note, I was lucky enough to talk to Haley Altman, the founder of Doxley, in episode six. If you want to check out that interview, you can find it on that episode page at tlpodcast.com. First of all, the idea of legal tech. Legal tech has been around for a long time, no law firm could exist without SAP, Oracle, IBM, one of these huge companies coming in and building systems for them that could allow them to be a 1,500 attorney firm with offices all around the world. That does not exist without technology. What's changed in the last four years, since you and I have gotten into the space, I think what's changed more than anything is that the technology that's being built now doesn't, let's say, prima facie support the growth and scalability of a law firm, what it seems to say is, hey, listen, you don't need lawyers for that anymore. Now we have an automated solution. And I think that's been very threatening to attorneys over the last few years since I've started writing about it anyway. I mean, the the whole question of are robots here to take our jobs? I don't think robots are here to take our jobs, but anytime there's change, there's uncertainty. And just because industrialization in the past has led to more business and more jobs doesn't mean it'll do that in the future. So I think that's the, my starting place for legal technology right now. Right. And the, the example that I give, I, like, I love to two companies. So like Kira Systems was the first technology company I ever wrote about. And the reason I wrote about them was this is exactly what I did in a law firm. I remember talking with other lawyers and saying, why do we have people on this? Why can't this be done by a monkey? But if I had been as smart as Noah, I would have said, why can't this be done by software? And Noah, that's, that was his concept. And I, what he was, what Kira was doing in those days when it was due diligence engine was reviewing an agreement pulling out a clause and populating a diligence uh, memo, the templates in the diligence memo. 
This was the work that I did at law firms. And I was like, holy cow, this is being totally automated right now. Isn't that something? The other company I like to use as an example is Doxley. If you think about what Doxley does, it's like every deal I used to say has two kind of junior attorneys, a monkey and an associate. Monkey reviews documents, just reviews, 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 reviews. But there was also an associate in every deal who was the deal babysitter. They were the ones making sure that, okay, what agreements, what papers do we need as a result of our diligence? What do we need to paper this agreement so that we're, that we're covered on all bases? And there's a lot of paper that comes in. There's a lot of signatures that comes in, consent agreements, all, all kinds of stuff, right? Who knows, right? So every single corporate transaction has to be papered to death. And making sure that all those agreements come in, what we used to do is we would create a Microsoft Word checklist, which we would continue to version up and send around as new things came up and it updated. And we would check it off automatically. And every once in a while, the partner would say, send around the updated checklist. This is how we really did these deals. And the agreements came in manually and we populated them. We printed them out. We put them in folders in the closing room. This was a substantial amount of work. This required a junior associate on every deal who was solely responsible for this. You might have an, have an associate who was doing that who wasn't actually doing any of the review work. All they were doing was, let's say, drafting and, again, deal babysitting. Doxley does that. Doxley is a smart checklist. And instead of having this archaic process that's fragmented, it's streamlined in one place. It's very simple. It's very easy to use. It really negates the need to have a full-time junior associate on these deals. And the reason I mentioned Doxley, I mentioned Kira, going to the trends conversation is, both of those are jobs that I did manually that are now being done better with the help of software. And you might even say makes me makes the 2012 version of me totally irrelevant on a law firm deal. Contract analysis and automation might be the next type of legal tech software gaining traction. But there are some other great apps bubbling up out there. And Silicon Valley, as Zach points out, is starting to notice. I like just about any company that comes out of Y Combinator. Uh, two of the most important people who you'll never hear mentioned are John and Carolyn Levy, a husband-wife tandem that are partners at Y Combinator. They were Wilson Sonsini attorneys who have basically handpicked all the legal tech companies that you know about, right? So Ross, Intel, YC, Case Text, YC, Ironclad, Simple Legal, um, Loya just came out of them. They're, they're a new company. Uh, Cognition IP. Um, Atrium, Justin Can, the founder of Twitch's company. I, I'm, I'm, and I'm leaving out some. They have funded a lot of really good companies. We're going to step away from our talk with Zach for a few minutes because now it's time in the podcast for our Legal Tech Founder segment. This is a time where we sit down and talk to a Legal Tech founder about the apps they're developing. This week, we talked to a person so nice, she did this interview twice because we ran into some technical difficulties. We talked to Catherine Crow, the founder of Digitory Legal. Another one of these apps that I wish would have been around when I was still practicing. Digitory Legal permits lawyers to put together realistic budgets for their clients and pulls from real-world data. It also permits clients to put together real-world budgets for their lawyers. All right, Catherine, thanks for being here today. Tell us a little bit about Digitory. So Digitory Legal is a cost management and analytics platform for law firms and clients that was built to help them succeed in the modern legal market. And what I mean by that is a market that is moving more and more to alternative fee arrangements and budget-based pricing, even for the most complex matters. And tell me specifically, what does it do? 
So what Digitory Legal does is de deliver a deep understanding of costs, um, help uh, customers focus on resource management, and provides really clear communications both internally and externally around expectations. So internally, it can be used uh, to understand costs at a task and timekeeper level, set price benchmarks, create accurate budgets and well-scoped um, alternative fee arrangements, and manage to those numbers. Um, and it can also be used collaboratively with law firms providing budgets, bids, and forecasts to clients through the platform. You were formerly in legal practice, correct? I did. I practiced law for 17 years and was a partner at Aura Carrington for many of those. And so what was the inspiration to create Digitory Legal and leave the practice? So a few years ago, while I was practicing law, I came to the realization that the legal profession really needed to evolve. Um, and what was happening was law departments were, and still are, under enormous pressure to do more with less. And you could see that pressure in the meteoric rise of legal operations and legal procurement. These are job descriptions that barely existed a few years ago and now are some of the most powerful forces for change in the legal industry. And what was happening is uh, an unprecedented level of business discipline has started to be applied to the legal industry. And if you're going to succeed in this market, um, I realized that law firms were going to need to examine their processes, adopt new technology, and make some significant changes to really better meet the business needs of their clients. So that was the um, inspiration. And uh, it was a moment for me, uh, a decision point where I could try something new and try to solve um, these business challenges in ways that would bring lawyers and clients together uh, or continue doing the same thing. So I decided to take the leap and uh, focus on the business of law instead of the practice of law. That's great. And so who, who's Digitory best suited for? Um, so our uh, target market is the Global 2000 and the law firms that work with them. And we focus on the Global 2000 because I feel like the uh, movement to alternative fees for uh, for complex matters is being driven by some of these companies and the need to respond uh, uh, by the law firms that work with them is very, very powerful. So it can be used by um, anyone doing um, complex legal work, but um, we are focused on that target market. So where can people find you and learn more about the product if they want to? Um, you're welcome to visit us on the web at digitorylegal.com uh, and on Twitter at at Digitory Legal, um, or uh, follow me personally at CM Crow, and you can also reach out to us at support at digitorylegal.com. Let's get back to our talk with Zach Abramowitz. Before we left, Zach was talking about trends in legal tech and how players in Silicon Valley like Y Combinator are starting to take notice of legal technology companies. But Zach also points out something interesting, that newer legal tech companies might have e-discovery companies to thank for paving the way. E-discovery, it's true, it's becoming a more mature space, but a lot of the people that you see now at legal tech companies or at some of the alternative legal service providers are veterans of e-discovery. A lot of the investors, Relativity right now, is in, Relativity Ventures is investing in, in startups. I think a lot of the players that you've seen come from e-discovery, they learned how to build technology and market it to law firms and sell it to law firms and work with law firms. And their model is not necessarily the same model that companies in the finance world use. It's, it's specific. They 
learned how to sell into the legal industry. They learned how to design software for the legal industry. And I think they've now paved the way for other technology to come in. Again, eDiscovery wasn't necessarily the place you would have started or you would have thought legal tech got started. But I think I think if you look hard, you see that a lot of the roots for legal technology are in eDiscovery, even if the company is not doing anything related in eDiscovery. Despite all the advancement in legal tech and all the new great tools that are being developed, and despite the fact Silicon Valley players like Y Combinator are now starting to take notice, to many VCs, legal tech still may be a hard sell. Because as Zach aptly points out, legal tech companies are not rocket ships like a Google, like a Facebook, like an Uber. In order to get the investment that it takes to build a technology company, you've got to go to VCs. You've got to essentially go to Wall Street and tell Wall Street, because again, VCs in Silicon Valley, they're, they're, <laughs> their, their boss is Wall Street. Their boss is the Illinois Pension Fund or the T. Rowe Price. That's who's investing in, in, in VCs. So you've got to go and make the case to Wall Street that you're a billion-dollar company because the VCs, in order to give the 30% return on risky assets to their investors, they've got to invest in billion-dollar companies. You can do the numbers any way you want. It doesn't work unless a VC builds and hits on a rocket ship, right? If you think about the original venture capitalists, think about go back in time, you know, Ferdinand and Isabella funding Columbus, or, you know, if you've seen The Greatest Showman recently, funding P.T. Barnum, you had to go into huge rocket ship-like ventures in order to make the returns pan out. And most solutions for legal are not billion-dollar solutions. Relativity is the outlier. Most great solutions for legal are not going to be billion-dollar exits. And because they're not going to be rocket ships, VCs won't typically invest in them. So if legal tech is not always an easy sell to venture capital firms, where should people with good ideas look for resources and investment? I've got a piece up on Bloomberg now, you can go check it out, where I'm going to explain why I think that law firms have the best position or why they have a very strong position. But before I do that, let's just acknowledge that this is happening right now. Okay, go downstairs right now, Gravity Stack, and that's the company that we've worked with. Gravity Stack is a wholly owned subsidiary of Reed Smith, which is building and licensing technology. And they've got products out. We helped them uh, rebuild Periscope, was a technology they built in-house four years ago. But they're down there. Auric is showing off products. Before we get into like why they have the, you know, why this makes sense, let's just first point out that it's happening. Right, Luminance, as an example, a 5% stake of Luminance is held by Slaughter and May, the British law firm, because it was developed out of the firm. So they have a stake in it. More and more law firms are investing in legal technology, not just in other companies, but in building their own solutions. So first point is it's happening. Whether or not it, it's the best solution, we can now debate. But I think it's really critical to understand right now that this isn't some pie in the sky, hey, what if law firms develop their own technology? No, it's happening. And I can tell you, I'm talking to law departments that are talking about it too. Because now what makes sense about it? If you're the law firm, I feel like in some ways you can relate to this, especially from percipient's perspective as well. Because in some ways you are sort of like a law firm. You're not a law firm, but sort of, right? Oh, and by the way, let's add to that list Atrium, Justin Can's company. Cognition IP was another one. These are essentially tech companies that are masquerading as law firms in order to build the next generation of legal technology. So again, this, it's happening. Now, why is the law firm in the best position? The law firm has the best access to the pain points. 
they know what's wrong. They know what doesn't make sense. All they need to do is get in the habit of if you see something, say something. Hey, we're doing this in a totally bogus way that's inefficient to our client and is a terrible process internally. We need to fix this. So they've got the access to the pain points. Second of all, they've got the, cl- the trust of their clients already. You know how hard it was for some of the companies that we've mentioned to build a brand and gain trust with law firms and law departments? Axiom has spent 10 years, 10 years, you know, getting into this space and building a brand with clients. It's not like building trust in, in, other, in other verticals. Building trust with legal, where you're talking about risk and bet the farm and screw-ups that could cost the company even more money, building trust is a huge issue in legal. But the law firms already have the trust of their clients. And third, what law firms have more than anything else is resources. They've got money. Now, maybe it's tough to get the partners to part with some of that money. That's definitely an issue. But at a very basic level, they do have resources. If a law firm builds a technology solution, right now, I think Gravity Stack, which is, again, Reed Smith's wholly owned entity, has built a product called Periscope that I believe could easily amount to five to 10 million in annual revenue for them a year. I don't know about more than that. We'll see. But the point is, if I go to a venture capitalist and I say, we've got a, a five, we're, we're, we're five to $10 million in revenue. We could build a company that has five to 10 million in annual revenue. They're like, uh, good luck with all that. Sounds like a nice lifestyle business. But the point is for a, a VC, five to 10 million in annual revenue is really not anything that gets them excited. But if you're a law firm, and I've come up with a way for you to have five to 10 million more in annual revenue. That's like hiring three rainmakers who don't need a corner office and who won't lateral. And you, if, if it is truly tech driven, you don't need the associates and the support staff. And you don't need the associates and the support staff. So I think that what you're seeing, and, and I'll give the example, you know, before we wrap, I'll give the example of Periscope and the reason that I think law firms, and again, this goes to the pain point more than the trust and the resources. It was Periscope, this product that, that Reed Smith and now Gravity Stack is releasing, was born out of an actual business use case, right? They were doing their own review and because they've got their own internal review team, the red team, it's a $40 million annual business for them. But they were having an issue that reporting on data to their clients took an extraordinary amount of time in terms of inputting into spreadsheets and handling it manually. It was taking like five days of over, overtime um, per month. And they were only able to report on like once or twice a month, not in any way that it could be actionable. So they would get to the end of a month and a bill that should have been 40,000 was now 60,000, which they hadn't caught earlier because they were not reporting on data that frequently. This was requiring partners eating bills. It was an, it was something that was causing an issue for them in terms of having their own internal review team. So they built Periscope as essentially to tie into other data sources, pull that information and allow you to get at the end of every single business day so that you knew you could budget, you could predict, you could see what was going on inside your review every single day. They knew this was an issue because it was their issue. And for the last four years, they've been using this product internally and differentiating their service. And now they've effectively said, listen, why don't we make this available for others to use? If it's been such a win for us, for our clients, saving 25 to 40% off review, for us becoming a more efficient and a more profitable group, why are we not giving this to the rest of the industry? 
And I think that this is a, a question you're going to see a lot of firms asking now because they probably have built, I think a lot of firms, not only ones that I know about, have built something internally that they then say like, are we the only firm in the world that has this issue? Couldn't be. It couldn't be. And I think that's what, so it's a really, really long way of answering. I don't know that the tech, the reason that technology has sucked and legal is that number one, it's hard to make a business case for the billion dollar rocket ship. And on the other hand, having, you know, expensive consultancies develop this software tailor-made is not really a good solution, especially in an era where building cloud-based technology has never been so inexpensive. So what I think that law firms getting involved may actually fix that. So that's it for this installment of Technically Legal. We hope you liked it. If you want to learn more about anything we talked about with Zach or Catherine, you can go to the episode page on tlpodcast.com. If you want to subscribe, which we hope you do, you can find us on most major podcast platforms such as Stitcher, Google, iTunes, etc. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Thanks for listening and hope you'll tune in next time.